So we are here with Mr. Charles Wang. How are you, sir? Good. So I always try to define you, and it's almost impossible because <laughs> you've been a VC, you've done private equity, entrepreneur, uh, angel investor. Uh, you do it all, plus you're traveling <laughs> all the time. Um, but you're also the CEO and founder of uh, Lynchpin Technologies. Right. So how do you describe yourself? Doer. Doer. Uh, operator. Um, catalyst, I guess. Uh, I, I definitely have a few hats, uh, and I enjoy wearing a few hats. And you are a startup health investor. A startup health investor. And in fact, uh, we've known each other basically from the day we launched Startup Health. From before the days. I mean, That's right. napkin drawing with you and Steve, uh, and um, you know, obviously been a fan of, of what you guys are doing, uh, obviously catalyzing as well, right, the innovation landscape. Um, but you know, for myself, I guess I, I view myself as uh, just a doer. You've been in the industry, digital health uh, sector, from a lot of wearing a lot of different hats. You know, what's your perception of where we are? What's the state of the industry now? State of the bullish? industry. Are you excited? Oh, uh, for sure, for sure, bullish. Uh, you know, I, I think to the extent that we are seeing traditional tech companies venture into healthcare in a meaningful way, right? The um, Apples, the Google. Apples, I mean, Amazon, look what Amazon has done, right? They're, they're, uh, they purchased Whole Foods, right? Uh, that's part of a natural health play. Um, they obviously are launching a prescription business, uh, you know, and hiring a bunch of doctors, hiring a bunch of pharmacists, et cetera. Um, you know, they have the ability as does Apple, as does Google, to literally put billions of dollars to work in a test. Um, so who knows whether or not the test will actually work. Um, obviously, it's not their core strategy to be a healthcare company. Um, but I, I think the simple fact is that technology companies are realizing that health is pervasive. It is the largest industry in America, as we know, $3.5 trillion and growing. And they can afford to hire some really great talent. Um, they can obviously create products and uh, have UI and UX and design that traditional healthcare companies, uh, native healthcare uh, folks, typically don't have that same DNA. And we'll see. It'll be an interesting time in the next, I'd say, three to five years to see if they stick it out. Is that uh, what you're most excited about over the next three to five years, these new entrants? New tech entrance. Um, I'm I'm excited by the simple fact that it means there will be more people attracted to health, and I think we we need to stop thinking about healthcare as healthcare because whenever people think about healthcare, they think about a hospital, they think about being in an emergency room, they think about you know lying in a bed, you know, cold, and you know that robe that has that vent in the back, which mm -hmm. is, hasn't changed in 30 years, which is pretty ugly. Um, but when you think about health, then you're like, okay, well, if you broaden the concept of healthcare and call it health, then yeah, then you look at Amazon buying Whole Foods and you think, okay, well, now that's an interesting play, right? Because Amazon has a gazillion pieces of data on Unity, on Steve, on Charles, on Polina, on Katya, on your kids, on my kid. And then they can then extend that to say, all right, well, beyond knowing what consumer products, CPG, electronics, shoes that you like, Unity, we also can marry that to your Whole Foods rewards card and know what types of foods, products that you consume, that you actually eat, that are beneficial for you, whether you're vegan, whether you know, you, you 
only buy organic, you know, you no dairy, etc. And you can have smart people attacking the problem in a way that, again, traditional healthcare folks, whether it's a hospital CEO or whether it's a uh, insurance, uh, you know, COO or CTO, that they probably don't uh, look at it through the same lens. So I'm excited by that. Um, you know, I'm 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 not certain that you know five years from now Amazon is going to bill itself as a health company or a health care company um, because unfortunately health care just isn't that sexy. Um, but if you talk about health tech or digital health, and you have these entrants and who are again deploying literally billions of dollars, um, you're going to attract more talent. You're going to attract more people. You're going to also then have the traditional players start to say, hey, geez, if we're going to try and hire talent, technology folks, innovators, if we're going to start a, you know, an innovation center, we really need to, A, put resources behind it, and then B... Do you B, think that's even possible? I mean, are these legacy institutions, <laughs> can they innovate? I mean, it's not in their DNA. They're risk-averse by nature. Is it more likely they get gobbled up or compete or collaborate and partner? So I think the legacy players, well, look, all of them, whether you're on the delivery side or whether on your insurance side, they have innovation you know, groups, innovation offices, that, you know, whether they call it truly an innovation you know, group or, or chief innovation officer like Rasu from UPMC uh, um, and UPMC Enterprise, and they've, they've done some amazing things. Um, or they call it their corp dev, you know, corp dev, corporate development uh, group. Um, you know, everyone, everyone has has that. In terms of meaningful innovation, there haven't been a lot that I've seen. You know, for lack of better terms, and again, no offense, um, there haven't been a lot that I've seen that have been empowered to actually make meaningful change um, because it, it requires buy-in from the C-suite, um, and you need to have. I guess jurisdiction over a, a PNL um, that you can then say, "Hey, uh, we really need to change this about our culture. We really need to buy this technology. We need to partner with this startup. Uh, we need to hire these types of people." Um, unfortunately, most of the innovation groups, um, whether they're on the device side, you know, J and J, or or on the pharma side, uh, they typically don't own a. P&L. The ones that do can impact change. Um, so I think the three ingredients that are necessary are, you know, culturally you need the C-suite support. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you need to have uh, a P&L. So you actually need to be a responsible, real a real business, responsible for, you know, profit loss. And then third is you need to be able to hire and attract talent. Um, you need people who come from a traditional Apple or a Google or, or you know, those types of engineers. You want the, the best and the brightest from MIT or Caltech or Harvard or, or you know, you know, uh, Carnegie Mellon, these engineers. You want them excited to join your company. You've been an entrepreneur in the sector for a few years now. Um, what have you learned being on that side of the table versus the VC or, or investor side of the table? Um, you know, 
so I, I flip-flopped, right? So in, in grad school, I had started you know, a few companies and was entrepreneur in residence at Highland Capital and, and had started a company with them. I was uh, an early employee of Generation Health, which was sold to CVS Caremark while, while in grad school. So that was kind of a fun ride. Um, but being back on the entrepreneurship side, you know, having left Blackstone uh, a few years ago, and ditching the suit and tie, uh, <laughs> I've learned or I've relearned and I've been heightened the fact that um, you can't do it yourself, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, I, I have a pretty good background in, in history and, and, and health and, and, you know, I think a pretty good education uh, as well. But, you, you know, no one person can do it all alone. Uh, I have... I think a great Rolodex of you know C-suite folks from you know United to Aetna to you know delivery systems like UPMC and to you know to Hopkins and Virginia Mason and Intermountain. But at the same time, you you know no one person can build a company. What's been your biggest lesson learned with your most recent company, Lynchpin? Um, <clears throat> it's not enough to have a great product or a great idea. A lot of it is, unfortunately, marketing <laughs> and how you position it, right? Um, so I think for me, oh, I don't know if it's a painful lesson, but one of the you know, takeaways I've, I've had is that, hey, I've known what the product was or, you know, for years, right? right? I, I've known, and it hasn't changed, right? But the positioning of it has changed. You know, the marketing materials, so to speak, that I use in a deck when I'm talking to a health system or talking to a payer or talking to an employer, that's changed. But fundamentally, the concept and the product itself hasn't changed. That's what we build. It's still the same uh, you know, product that, that the team has built, but it's just positioned differently. Uh, and so is that something you should, as an entrepreneur, you recommend be thinking of from day one? Or evolve organically as time goes on? I, 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 I believe you need to think about it from day one. I think you need to pressure test it with friendly customers, right? To say, hey, this is what I'm building. This is what I have. Demo, show it, right? Just don't talk about it, but show it. And then get their perspective, get their feedback. Okay, like what resonates with you, right? And and take notes, right? So some friendly folks before you're out there actually selling, selling. Right, show them the MVP, show them the bells and whistles, and then get their feedback on it. Um, and depending upon who you're selling to, right? So for for Lynchpin, it's you know it's a SaaS platform uh, to improve engagement for for members mm -hmm. and, and for consumers. The positioning is slightly different when we're talking to a health system versus a payer or or, or an employer. And I think. Having a great marketing person um, is important, mm -hmm. and um, whether that's a full-time person or, or someone that you, there's obviously some great marketing shops you can you can engage with. And you, you know. need to be the chief marketing officer, yourself of course, as the yeah. founder. Yeah, you're selling yourself, you're selling the brand, and you're yeah. I mean, it's everything. Even though you're the founder, or CEO, you know we have a small team, a lean team. You know, you do everything. You know, I make copies. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'll, I'll do the faxing since we're still in healthcare. But yeah, I do my own travel. You know, booking. But yeah, I'm 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 the that one who's out there selling. That must be a full time job because it is. It, it is east to west all the time. That's right. So you you've been active in Boston, New York. You're now in LA. What's going on in the LA scene? And how's it different than some of these other innovation hubs? Yeah. So I mean, LA. 
is coming, you know, it's still up and coming, I would say, uh, particularly within digital health. Um, you know, I, I think... Silicon Beach. Silicon right. Beach, right. So it's, it's always, I think, as broad tech venture goes, healthcare will always lag behind that, you know, I'd say five to eight years, right? So we've seen in the last five years, LA become a destination for tech companies and startups, right? You Snap. Sna- you have Snapchat, you have Oculus Virtual Reality, right? Um, <clears throat> you have Dollar Shave Club, right? And, and so you, you have Google and Facebook um, building campuses right down there um, because it's a better quality of life. Engineering talent isn't as expensive. Um, and you know there's some great media technology companies, right? Entertainment, obviously, uh, and content in, in in LA. The digital health part of it is again still lagging, right? Um, there there are a band of entrepreneurs, you know, uh, me and a few other folks will will do informal meetups like coffees, dinners, drinks, those types of things, you know, like once a quarter. Um, and but you've also been sort of a, a global networker, right? <laughs> I mean, you're in a different city every other day. Um, you've got, I, I always remember back from day one when I met you, one of your great skills is you had this amazing network, still have been building that network ever yeah. since I've known you, um, and been very generous in always paying that forward and mm-hmm. sharing your network with others. Yeah. Um, what are your lessons there that maybe you pass on to other entrepreneurs about building a global network and, and constantly sort of um, developing that? So what I, what I would say is that you know, it is about paying it forward, right? When, when I was, quote unquote, just starting out, I had you know, guys from Highland or guys from business school or guys and gals, you know, professors who would offer time. And, and I guess I've, I've never forgotten that. And I, yeah, I try and pay it forward. So it's one thing to have a really broad network. You know, I think I have 10,000 odd connections on LinkedIn, which is great. But, you know, I think it's more important to have meaningful connections. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the end, I would say. I think it's a meaningful connection. So when you go to a conference or when you go to the Startup Health Party at Health 2.0 and catch with a bunch of people, it's great to see, you know, your friends, you know, people from all different states and countries even, right? Um, but the advice I would give is that it's great to ha- have those types of you know, informal meetups and, and group conversations and a group dinner or you know, drinks, et cetera. Um, but to forge meaningful, deep connections, you need to spend time one-on-one, mm-hmm. right? And I think the older you are, the older you get, the more connections you have, uh, the more your time is divided between you know, work, life, kids, you know, that, that time is precious, right? And, so for you, it seems like sleep is is what gives. So, well, yeah. So well, if you're I, not getting sleep, what do you do to stay healthy? Uh, you know, I work out every day. Um, and that can be CrossFit. That can be boot, a Barry's boot camp. That could just be, hey, I just want, you know, going for a three-mile run. Um, I think important as well is kind of spiritual mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so every morning when I get up, I spend, you know, kind of 15 minutes just you know, in meditation, thinking about what I need to do today, how can I be a better dad, father, you know, uh, husband, doer, uh, son. And uh, I, I think in this day and age, everyone's so caught up in their, you know, their cell phones. Like, geez, where's my cell phone? You know, I have two cell phones, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, 
first thing that most people do when they wake up is this, right? They check the messages. How many messages do I have? How many likes did my photo or my post get? You know, and you know, on the subway, unfortunately, people don't talk to each other anymore. People, people are always buried, you know, watching videos or playing games. And I think having time every day for yourself um, away from technology is a good thing. Yeah. Um, That's why airplane. I love being on the airplane yeah. sometimes. You know, time, time to focus, focus time. Well, Charles, just want to thank you for being sure. such a friend to Startup Health Always. Uh, from, the, from day one. And uh, also to the health transformer community. You've, you've invested in many companies. Um, you're just a great supporter and friend to so many entrepreneurs and so many people around. Um, it's people like you that are constantly paying it forward, um, that are batteries included, that I think have in large part been responsible for building this ecosystem um, for over, over the years. So thank you for everything that you've done and everything you continue to do. Glad to be a part of it.